previously on Meta Dungeon. Peace. We talked about player handbook and player sheet stuffs. And we're back. Um, I wanted to ask you something. It might be a little basic, but something that we can talk about a little bit. Basic bitch? Uh, maybe. Depending. Um, you've played a few different characters. Yes. And you've seen, like, Critical Role and other things. Yes. What... What would be your favorite class and race currently? Uh, or what would be your, like, idea what you want to play next? Wizard. Wizard, okay. Be- what kind or why? <laughs> it's funny you ask, because I did look this up recently by accident, because I was just scrolling through the book. There is a school of wizard, because I, for those of you who don't know me yet, I have a bit of... Um, love for the darkness of, like, death and true crime and shit like that. Like, that's my go-to. Um, and I found a school of wizard called School of Necromancy. Okay. What what all is it about? Like, so, what, what, what's... What do they get that's special from other wizards? So what they have, they basically, they have a lot of similar feats as, like, a grave cleric. So they have... Like, the ability to, um, I think on second level you gain something called Grim Harvest, and you have the ability to reap life energy from creatures you kill with your spells. Very similar to the Vampiric Touch spell that Mm -hmm. my Grave Cleric use, except I'm pretty sure, um, once per turn, when you kill one or more creatures with a spell of first level or higher, you you regain hit points equal to twice the spell's level or three times its level if the spell belongs to the School of Necromancy. Oh, okay. So, unlike the Empiric Touch, where I only get half health back. Right. You also don't get a whole lot here, because it's the spell level, right? So, if it's a first level spell, you get maximum three hit points back. Mm -hmm. So, which isn't too bad, but... It depends on how many times you get hit. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. I, I just, um, and another really cool thing, <laughs> at 14th level you get Command Undead. That's interesting. <laughs> but I think I get that fairly early as a Grape Cleric right now. Yeah, you'll have to check what your spells all are, because I don't actually know. Like, there, there's, and this is normal for a DM, there's no way you can know everything. There are so so many different spells out there and different types of subclasses and they're all going to throw you for a loop. <laughs> and, I, and one of the things I really like about a wizard is that their spell list is fucking massive. Yeah, you get a lot of choice. Like, you basically, I mean, you practically get every single spell. You're, you're able to. Yeah. You don't automatically get them. No. You get, when you level up, you get to choose a couple from each of those levels mm-hmm. when you level up. And then you have the notebook that yep. you can write. Like, if I got a scroll that was a druid spell, well, I can fucking just take that, write that shit down and be like, this is mine now. Yeah, so as long as you find a spell book that belongs to another wizard or yeah. a spell scroll, yep. you can copy it down for in-game mechanic cost and materials. Mm, which is usually, I think, paper it. and ink. Yeah, you it's, it's paper and ink and then time based right. on... It's like two hours per spell level. Yeah, so if, so it's, if it's a fifth level spell, it's going to take you ten hours to right. do this thing. So yeah. you can't always do it very quickly. And that's kind of the balance of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you can learn a lot of spells Pretty if you everything. come across them yes. in the game. So... I like, and you know, my pyromancer, because we're actually going to get our friend, who's also named Zach, uh, he DMs a game that I play based off of Dark Souls. And we're actually going to have him on the show here pretty soon to talk about um, his campaign, without giving me any details, obviously, but like, because his whole, because it's Dark Souls and it's not straight D&D, it's got a lot of different mechanics, a lot of different equations and such. Yeah, and it's, it's, it is way more complicated. It's very complicated, um, but he's also really fucking smart. So, yeah. so it, it's understandable. And so my pyromancer, which is basically like a wizard in Dark Souls world, just more fire. Yeah, and I can turn much. And I can basically... A fire wizard specific. Yeah, and I can turn into a dragon. 
yeah. which I'm kind of excited about. Um, but it's very, I think it's going to be very similar to that. And I already really enjoy that. And that's when it was actually his campaign where I realized I preferred magic over hitting shit. Yeah. And that's something that people find out slowly, but it's something that players tend to go one direction or the other. Usually, mm-hmm. um, Joe, one of our players in our campaign, he just likes to hit shit. He doesn't want to deal with magic too much. Yeah. He, he likes to just hit things. So he usually plays a paladin or a barbarian or a fighter or a Wasn't monk. he a war cleric? Yeah, last he was one? a war cleric so before, which is shit. pretty much a barbarian with cleric abilities. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm going to turn that... way around. I want to turn that question back on you. Um... Well, I don't play in a lot of campaigns. No, but the ones I do you- have a couple that I played in, and I think out of those, out of out of everything I do DM wise, and then those, I still think my favorite has got to be my sorcerer. <laughs> my sorcerer is awesome. He people. was wonderful. So I, I'm sorry I ruined it. <laughs> well, you know, we, we they may come back someday, maybe. Mm-hmm. But um, one thing that I really liked, and this was a bit of homebrew that I worked out. To be a props to anybody if they know what this term means. It, it's called a hengiokai. Um, I believe it's a Japanese term mm-hmm. or Chinese term. I maybe I'm not really Japanese sure which. When you did the research, um, it's a it's basically a, a, a shapeshifter, but they only have two forms, and it's one form is their animal form, and the other form is a humanoid humanoid version of that animal. So this is more often seen as like rabbit people where they're, they're like a human looking rabbit, like they stand on two feet and then they shift into an actual rabbit. Now, what I did, because mm. I love red pandas, is I <laughs> did that, but with red pandas. So I have a red panda form. That's a panda lope. It has little There's antlers. A panda lope. That's yeah. right. I loved him. So it just had little antlers to make it a little more fey-ish. And then when it tr- turned into its like humanoid form it was more the size of like a like a gnome it was like a cartoon red uh, like a red panda you would see on a cartoon yeah it was like a very small guy i wouldn't Mm -hmm. say a dwarf because dwarfs are a little bit bigger um but he was small he was just kind of a little bit rotund he was more goblin size i thought yeah yeah goblin size works um but he was awesome and he was a sorcerer so i got a lot of innate fey themed magic that i really enjoyed playing mm-hmm. it was pretty cool but i don't i dm more than i play so Netflix i get to be idea. everything else i get mm-hmm. to be all the monsters that you guys fight which is interesting mm-hmm. for sure and i'm also realizing as a dm that my methods for balancing things actually tends to make things a little too easy for you guys so now i have to tweak that and make it more difficult which is interesting for sure well, that's what i had to do with uh uh, rise of Tiamat. Yeah. Because I was dumb and made you all start a level five when I shouldn't have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know what the campaign was supposed to have a start at. It says, uh, shockingly enough, it said level one, which I thought was interesting. So it's a, yeah, that's why. Okay. But here's so the thing. Every, you were supposed to be level but one everything or two I, fought that. <laughs> but everything I did research mm-hmm. on Rise of Tiamat, everything said, no, you want to be at a level five. Yeah. Because by the time, because I think they said somebody did a playthrough of Rise of Tiamat, got them to Tiamat. These were like level 10 people, killed them all. Tiamat just fucking that's, wrecked yeah, them. Yeah, that's possible. So they always say it would be, I think. I How many players did we have, though? I think that was also we had, a uh, One, two, three, four, five to six, I think. I think we had five, buddy. Yeah, I think we had five most of the time. Okay. So that's not too bad. Five, so no, it wasn't, five players. It wasn't a huge group by no. any means, but I think I think TMS just a little broken. Yeah. Well, it starts you off with a white dragon that wasn't I don't it wasn't designed to... as powerful as it was supposed to be. No, God, it was designed so fucking I almost easy. made it an ancient dragon because I was that paranoid about it. Yeah. But then it wouldn't have been any fucking fun. Yeah, balancing that's hard because it's a single entity versus a, a group. Um, but you the, just have to play as... Well, and we're, 
That, this is kind of outside the scope of the episode. Yes, but we'll get there, I promise. <laughs> Let us just get our thoughts out. <laughs> yeah, it's... You have to play it like it's your player. You know what I mean? Like, you don't want it to die. And when it's those encounters where it's like a 1v the party, that's when you got to really turn up the dial to make it harder. Maybe um, I should have said level 3. Start yeah, everyone maybe. at level 3, because level 1 doesn't make sense. Yeah, that would have been pretty weak. But it also depended on how quickly they leveled up before they got to the dragon. So what level would they have been at the dragon It differs. So yeah, if they are three or four, it probably would have been challenging, but okay. Mm-hmm. So it depends. Level five is when a lot of people get additional the good things, shit. though. And that's when, when that's what it I'll got do. a little bit more If powerful. I go back to it, I'll say, <laughs> everyone's got to be a level three instead, because that was too easy. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it depends. You can tweak it anytime. So. Right. <clears throat> but previously on Yu-Gi-Oh! <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. Uh previously on meta player character dungeon. creation meta dungeon <laughs> stuff, we as Zach was saying, we were talking about um our abilities and skills and proficiencies and how you know you're good at one thing versus another. Yeah. And Proficiencies is kind of a large, broad concept because it applies to a lot of things. So you do actually have a proficiency bonus modifier. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is how good you are at things. Um, I actually don't remember how that's added because D&D Beyond does all the math for you, which is nice. Um, I believe in the book. your race and class add to it, but otherwise it's a plus one by default. Yeah, I think, yeah, by default it's a plus one, and I believe, because I always play elves, because I have a problem. Yeah, so your race can um, increase it to a plus two or three or whatever, four, but blah, 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 blah. that's usually going to be in a little circular box <laughs> near the top of the page, and it should say um, proficiency bonus, and that's like... A bonus that you get to things that you are proficient in. So it's another modifier you get to add to your dice rolls to also increase the chances of success. And that's really the purpose of these modifiers. Mm -hmm. However, proficiency gets to tailor it to a number of things where you're only proficient to a handful of things out of the entire player sheet where you might suck at a bunch of things, but you know what you're good at. Kind of like in life. Yeah, pretty much. You like, suck at math, but you are fucking phenomenal at cooking. Well, yeah. I didn't even mean to call you out. That was an accident. That was an accident. I didn't think I sucked at math. That was actually an accident. Is this a radio drama now where we start doing the like? Yeah, you gotta you gotta make the sound effects to because they can't see us. So <laughs> you gotta act it out with sound. The sound of music. Are you good at math? I'm decent at math. I mean, I've never been bad at it. I, I suck at mental math. I, I have to write things down. But, yeah, I don't know. Back to proficiencies. <laughs> so, the proficiency, just as a definition of the word, means it's something you're good at. And you can apply your proficiency to a number of things based on your class or race. So you have... Skills and saving throws and actions and bonus actions that you can apply this modifier to. Mm-hmm. It's not a plus one, it's a plus two. By default? By plus default. two. The table that appears in your class uh, proficiency bonus, which is plus two for a first level character. Okay. So I think it goes up naturally by certain levels. You get a, an additional one and a few things like that. I think it goes up by player level. Um... But you can apply these proficiencies to, like, skills. So if you chose that you're proficient in animal handling via one of your racial options or class options, you get to put fill in the circle next to animal handling, and that means now you get to add both the wisdom modifier you have, Mm -hmm. since that's the modifiers, the main modifier for animal handling, Mm -hmm. and your proficiency. So now, if you have a plus two in wisdom, and a plus two in proficiency, now you have a plus four for just animal handling. So it's a way to measure out how much better you are at very specific things. Now, 
you can also be proficient in saving throws. Mm -hmm. And a saving throw is functions the same way. You take your modifier from whichever main ability score and you apply it here. Now, you only add your proficiency bonus to the ones that that you're granted a proficiency bonus in via your character uh, class or race. And these are additional modifiers. Usually when you're trying to avoid some sort of attack or damage or, or trap or something. So a saving throw is like a dexterity saving throw is you're trying to get out of the way at something swinging at you or something. And the DM will ask you to make these kinds of checks. You don't need to know when you have to make them. Like, here's a real world scenario. I'm a DM. I'm sitting here and uh, Zach is deciding that he wants to uh, de- uh, deconstruct a trap because I can't think of the actual word we use. <laughs> Investigate traps or disarm traps? Disarm, that's the word. <laughs> Thank okay. you. <laughs> okay. Deconstruct. I will deconstruct your ass. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what any, that was a chance. Equally as I don't know what either of those things meant. So. Oh man, I didn't realize my ass was like halfway off this chair and I almost fell out. Yeah. <laughs> um so let's say I go, okay, so you need to roll uh for investigation first for the trap. Mm-hmm. Uh let's say you find the trap, then you ask can I disarm it? Mm-hmm. I ask you to pull out your thieves' tools. Yep. Is that right? Yeah. Well, if you have thieves' tools, if have thieves and if tools, you're proficient in them, yes. Prof- then it's a dexterity check, and if you're proficient, if you have it listed under your proficiencies for thieves' tools, you get to add your proficiency proficiency <laughs> modifier in addition to just the dexterity roll. But for the saving throw, let's say Zach failed. Mm-hmm. And I go, oh, buddy, you better roll a constitution saving throw for that. Basically, if he passes, he knows to get out of the way and not be, he knows to shake off the poison that's coming and getting sprayed in his face. Yep. If he fails, he gets sprayed in the face. Yeah. So it's it's always a reaction to something happening. And so th- that saving throw will determine if you... Are, are cool okay or not? <laughs> or half okay or really not okay? Because it kind of can vary depending on what tools the DM has at their disposal. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you take half damage, sometimes you take full damage, sometimes you take no damage, depending on the process. Yep. Um, I mean, that, that's saving throws in a nutshell. You don't need to know yeah, too much no, about them. No, you have you have your strength, your dexterity, your constitution, your intelligence, wisdom, and charisma. You have the exact same. Um, yeah, abilities as you do your normals. Your saving throws are exactly the same as your abilities. Yeah, what I you can just add say. your proficiency modifier when applicable uh-huh. if you get that via a race or class. Yep, a increase or whatever choice. <laughs> <sighs> um, from there, then you have things like armor class. So armor class is calculated by. A few things. Um, Quite a few. You should definitely check the player handbook because it has a great chart on what things factor in. But generally speaking, armor class is determined by a type of armor, and there's three. There's light armor, medium armor, and heavy armor. Mm -hmm. There then is your dexterity modifier, which can factor in to light armor or medium armor. Now, I don't believe... Dexterity factors into heavy armor at all. I would have to check. Uh, but you do get a lot more armor for heavy armor. Looking at this, yes, it does. I think it's to a, like, to a certain limit, though. So, like, you get your dexterity to a maximum of two. So you can't get more than two, even though you're, if your dexterity is a plus five, you only get two. Mm-hmm. So things like that. So there's limitations, and that's to balance the game so your oh, armor class eight? isn't Ooh, 30. Because if your armor class is 30, that's just broken. <laughs> I had, um, when I was doing Tiamat, something you, because I remember you had to help me on this. Um, somebody had an armor class at 25, which was the same armor class as the big bad evil guy Tiamat. Yeah, and we had broken. no idea why it was doing that. 
the girl who had made it had no idea why it was doing that. So I took it to Zach, who's really good at homebrewing and fixing this shit. He had no fucking idea. <laughs> he was yeah, like, something so was not adding we up had right. to over, we had to override it and make it so that she was at max 20. Cause I was like, I don't want anybody going higher than 20. Cause that's just not fair to me. <laughs> Fuck you guys. It's yeah. not fair to me <laughs> for low characters. That's pretty high armor. Like, yes, a level one paladin can have 18 armor if they have like full plate heavy armor, but that's all they'll ever get. Really? They'll, they'll maybe get to 20. You know, they will never get higher than that, no matter how long they're, how many levels they go up. Heavy armor doesn't let you add your dexterity modifier to your armor class, but it also doesn't penalize you if your dexterity modifier is negative. Yeah, so that makes sense. So it's all about the actual, like, strength of the armor itself when it's heavy armor. So that makes sense, yeah. Now, there is one thing that adds to armor class no matter what. Um... The only limitation is that you can't use weapons that are two-handed if you also want to wield a shield. Correct. And because, a shield... And in practice, that also makes sense. Yeah, you can't <laughs> you can't hold a shield and a two-handed weapon. It's... It, no, not no. allowed. <laughs> but what it does is it gives you an automatic plus two to your armor class, which just makes it easier for you to not get hit, which is really good because... Players that have less armor, maybe a higher dexterity, but less armor, usually sorcerers and wizards, uh, don't have a lot of hit points and are usually pretty low armor class. Swishy. They can get hit hard. Yes, my armor class as a grave cleric is 14, so literally anything can hit me. Yeah. And everything did hit me. 14 to 15 is pretty average, actually. That's that's what most characters have, especially at lower levels. That's normal. Um, but Unless yeah, your you name's Joe. You... But he's a paladin <laughs> with a lot of armor. And he's got lucky because he also has a type of race that gives him a plus one armor, I believe. Or or maybe it's a subclass of paladin. I don't remember. But he has a 21 armor, and that's not common. <laughs> but it also makes sense because he's big and slow, and he can't he, he can't be sneaky and there's a lot of other things that factor in because he's a big armored dude. He's a basically a tank, mm-hmm. which is one way of playing it for somebody that likes to just hit things and not worry too much about he complications. Enjoys that, yeah. So that makes sense. It works well for him. Um, going into that, then we have things like speed, which is how fast in feet your character can move uh, per turn. This just factors in so that under the action meta of combat usually you can move make an action and a bonus action per turn you can't do more than those though you have to do at most all three of those um per turn and that's because the speed is limiting how far you can move and do things within and range of things um in a given amount of time. Um, typically in combat, a single turn happens in about six seconds. Mm-hmm. So imagine everybody's technically going, even though it's, you know, one after another, it's all happening in the same six seconds. So you can only travel so far in that time frame. Um, and it's just to balance the game mechanically. Your average speed you're going to be is um, 30 feet. Yeah, that's more common. Smaller um, races are 25, but most of the time it's 30. And I think half works might be faster. I know monks get faster, but that's part of the race, not mm-hmm. or part of the class, not the race. There okay. are some things that are a bit broken, um, and I know other DMs ban it um, or not allow the ability or choice of a player early on choosing a race that has a flying speed because the flying speed quickly breaks the game especially if you're level one to five because most other things don't fly and you're untouchable then what was trevor an aracocra so an aracocra is a bird person basically um however now there has been released owl people and other things like that and so you can be a bunch of different races 
but it is game breaking to be able to fly and have a 50 foot fly speed mm-hmm. at level one. Like that's, that's you're faster than anything else at level one and you can technically be untouchable. It, it breaks the game a little. So what a lot of other DMs do if they don't ban those kinds of races from their game, they just say that you can't use your fly speed or whatever. Your fly speed is limited to your walking speed until you reach a certain level. And that's fine. It's it's to balance the game because otherwise it does break it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, from there, then we have initiative. And all three of these are typically by each other on the player um, character sheet. Uh, initiative is going to be your dexterity modifier. And this is a bonus that you get when you roll a d20 for initiative, which determines the order in which players function in combat. Mm-hmm. Who goes first? Yep. Um, who's and on just, first? Yeah. What is on second? I don't know who's on third. Baseball references that I really like. It's not a baseball reference. Well, it, is a, it is baseball, I mean, but it's something else. I mean, it is technically, but it's um, Abbott and Costello, who's on yeah. first. It's a very well-known comedy bit. I know. It's been a very long time since I've seen Abbott and Costello, though. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it is originally a baseball reference. I mean, technically, yes, but it's not a baseball reference in the sense of, why are you doing that? <laughs> I just do things, you know, to throw you off. But yeah, I mean, that's that's how you can determine your order. And, and that's right. because combat can get chaotic. Mm-hmm. And so you need to know who's doing what and when. And doing it in a turn order makes that very easy. Um, especially for a group of at least five people. Oh, yeah. And then depending on how many enemies you have. Mm-hmm. And granted, that can be handled you, different ways. Yeah, too. granted, you don't roll for like 30 kobolds. No, <laughs> if there's a bunch of enemies that's either handled as like a swarm entity or um, they all go at once. Mm-hmm. The problem with them all going at once... Still 30 kobolds that are yeah, going. That's a lot of hits in the same second. So if it, they all target the same character, that char- that player might die or, or at least go, go unconscious, unconscious. Because they just happen to go in that order. Whereas if they were... Sp- spread out and they got hit a couple times and then a cleric was able to heal them and then they got hit a couple more times they would have lived it it's still the same amount of attacks Mm -hmm. but the order in which things happened made a huge difference um which then drives us straight into our next one which is Hit uh, hit points and hit dice we mentioned this a little bit in the last episode um where we talked about hit dice and how each class has a different hit dice type. Yep. Um, And how this works, again, is your hit dice that you get for your class, you get to roll it a number of times per level. So at level one, you roll it once. At level level two, two two times, three, three times, so on and so forth. Well, yeah, you keep your number that you had, you just roll a new one. So that you get two hit dice now. You don't yeah, use that's, a re-roll. Yet. Yeah, that's what I mean. I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> well, you don't know, so I wanted to clarify. Right. <laughs> um... Until you get to whatever level you are. So every time you level up, you get a new die. You get another die. So yeah. if you're at level five, like I am right now in our campaign, I have five hit dice. Five D8s. Yeah. So, so five D8s manually rolled gets you a decent amount of actual It can get you up points. to 40 points. Yeah. So that's not bad. Especially for cleric. Clerics are usually a little more squishy. So, yeah. so that's a decent Pro- amount of Protect health. your clerics, guys. Yeah. Protect your clerics. Yeah, they keep you alive. I almost took your drink. Don't do that. That's mine. <laughs> um, and it's, hit points are your health. It's how many hits can you take till you go unconscious. And you need to manage that. Otherwise, you're going to have trouble and probably be unconscious a lot. <laughs> and you do have ways of, if you're in combat and you get hit a lot, you do have ways to fix it whether it's you or your cleric or your paladin um as a if you need to heal yourself because you know you didn't protect your cleric now your cleric's unconscious um (laughs) you have you use your um health potions you can take health potions and there's like three different types of health potions and each one's give you four but yeah they're they're ridiculous that sounds like that sounds that sounds right well either way they give you a certain amount of health back um mm-hmm. then your cleric and your paladin if they're 
up and going good, they can perform spells that allow you to heal. And they're, depending on the level of spell, they, they, they can heal you quite a fucking bit. Yeah, yeah. It's really to just swing the the favor of the fight in your side. They're not supposed to heal you to full. That's... Yeah. That's... The spells Enough are that not powerful. down. <laughs> yeah. There are some odd times, I think Grave Clerics are one of them, that they do get an ability to <laughs> max out certain heals. Yes. So instead of rolling, they actually just get the maximum. Yeah, I believe that's level nine. Okay. So there are some benefits to certain spells. I don't know, I don't classes. have Xanathars in front of me right now. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, where they get bonuses, because everything else is limited. That's just how the game works. You you roll to see what you get for healing and all sorts of things. Um, whereas that's like, that's a special trait that mm-hmm. they get, and only they get, to maximize out that aspect of combat, which is just keeping people alive. <laughs> yeah, because clerics are literally the the guardian between life and death. Yeah. And that's why I Unfortunately, to <laughs> every party should have a cleric. But then again, then somebody has to play the, the cleric. Yeah, but here's the thing. <laughs> clerics can be fun. They can be. There are a lot of different types of clerics out there, too. I mean, hence, there's your cleric. I know. There's plenty of clerics that we've seen in Critical Role. And then there's also the cleric Joe played, which was basically a barbarian. A barbarian cleric. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. Uh, which is, you, you can make them into any playstyle, really. Which is, they should be versatile because the party meta kind of needs one of sorts. So it being dynamic is good. Now, then that leads us into the next thing. Um, it should be a box next to or part of your hit points and health box. And it's something called death saves. Now, what happens when you get hit enough that your your health and HP goes to zero, that means your character is unconscious. And if they're unconscious, they have to make death saves. Now, what this is, is it's your body's subconscious will to live and fight um, versus how much or how injured you actually are. Um, how this typically works is you've got six dots, three successes, and three failures. Mm-hmm. And every round that you're unconscious, you need to roll a new d20 with no modifiers. Mm-hmm. It just has to be a 10 or higher for a success. Anything lower is a fail. Now, if you get three of one or the other, say you get three successes um, before you get three fails, you actually are stabilized and your body was able to heal it's enough, itself enough to not die. Um, you're still unconscious unless you roll a natural 20. Then you you actually wake up with one hit point. Yeah. It's just to stabilize you. Yeah. However, if... You don't lose your character. <laughs> yeah. However, let's say you're down and some asshole decides to come up and hit you with a mace and they succeed in overpass... No, no. It's an automatic critical. It's an automatic crit. It's an automatic crit, yeah. meaning regardless of your armor class... You get hit, and it actually takes away two saves. Yeah. If it's a melee hit while you're unconscious, you lose, you you gain two fails. You gain two fails and lose two successes. And to go back, I was wrong. It's first level. Oh, circle for the, of, yeah. Circle of mortality at first level, you gain the ability to manipulate the, light, the line between life and death. When you would normally roll one or more die to restore hit points with a spell to a creature at zero... You instead use the highest number possible for each die. There you go. And then in addition, you have... Is it all the time or do you get it a it certain amount say. of times a day? doesn't say. It's probably all the time then. Oh, fuck. Then I just got to remember that for, for when we play. But in addition, you learn my favorite cantrip and Zach's least favorite, Spare the Dying. Yeah. God bless you, Spare the Dying. Can't spare yourself. But kind of going into... This actually kind of goes into what we're talking about here with the oh, saves. Yeah. Uh, uh, Grave Cleric, and I think it's Grave Clerics only. Um, I don't know if that's 100% sure. Um, mm, I don't think so. I think no. there's, a, there, but the, there's a Spare the Dying for other clerics. We have too. a... Right, but I don't know if we can do it as a bonus action as a cleric. I don't know. I'm not sure, actually. Either way. Um, your cleric can perform 
a spell called Spare the Dying. And what this does is it automatically stables you so you don't have to roll for mm-hmm. your saves or your failures. It doesn't bring you back to consciousness. Right. It just keeps you from actually dying and losing your character. Correct. But I think if you still got hit even after Spare the Dying, I you can. Yeah. think it'll start the process over again. It doesn't start it over. It just... It, it does the two d- fails. And if you get That's hit, what I meant. Yeah, the two fails. Yeah. You don't have to continue rolling anymore, but it, it is two fails. And then if... It, then if you get hit again. Yeah, because then that's four fails and you got to three fails and <laughs> <you> died. <laughs> you did. And at that point, all you can hope for is that your cleric can uh, cast the Revivify spell to bring you back to life. But Otherwise, that also costs 300 gold... Uh, 300... Uh, a gold diamond worth, worth a 300 diamond. gold. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, if your cleric doesn't have that, then uh, you're going to be rolling a new character. It's time for a new character, guys. And then you're going to do this all over again. And learn from your mistakes and not die the same way. I know, right? Um, but yeah, I, I think then that's that's the basics. That's the basics of, of a character and its mechanics and how to build that out so that you have something that's playable. So from here, the rest of the character sheet is things that add to combat or actions or spells. And then the remaining is all background and flourish. You? you get to... What's yeah, your deal, man? You get to be more and have a dynamic. You get um, to choose your morality line. Yeah, you do. Do you want to talk a bit about that? Yeah. So the morality line, um, you have... There's technically nine. There's technically nine. There's so there's your true, your um true neutral. Yeah, no, yeah. Or your which tr- way are you going? So your trues, your lawfuls. I guess lawful and true is the same thing, isn't it? So you have your lawfuls, well, your straight neutrals, and your um chaotics. Yeah, and then so. It's, it's usually kind of I'm, a graph I, of like... It's, and it, it has to do it in a it's table like good, in my brain. Yeah, it's like good, neutral, and evil. Yeah. And then it's um, lawful, lawful, neutral, chaotic. Correct. So you have your... You can be you can be lawful good, or chaotic good, chaotic evil. Those are a little bit harder to play because you're a real true dick, though. <laughs> true here, dick. Here, here's a question. Here's a fun, here's a fun morality question. Which is worse, lawful good or chaotic evil? I don't know. It depends on how it's played, exactly. I think. Exactly. It depends on how it's played. lawful good can be that goody-two-shoes person that... that I, I, but you would also do whatever... You, you can do whatever you can to keep everything yeah. on the good side. So, so uh, really an example I saw of a description of this that where players can butt heads is, say, a chaotic good character broke uh, a, some peasant out of jail because they didn't think that they deserved to go to jail because mm-hmm. all they did was steal some food to so feed that their, their family. family had food. Now, a lawful good player would say, no, they broke the law. They stay in jail. So you have that you have a- butting heads there. But then you're and your chaotic evil person's like, fuck it, let's just kill everyone. Let's just murder the town. <laughs> let's murder or, the or, town. Or what's the, the famous phrase? Those are some tasty orphans. There. <laughs> yes, those are some, oh, no. those are some tasty looking orphans. <laughs> like, I don't know about that one. <laughs> yeah, but um <clears throat> a lot of people tend to go, at least in our group, a lot of people tend to go the more chaotic neutral route because yeah, we have some good neutral, ne- true neutral, and chaotic neutral. Because the chaotic neutral is actually very close to what a person is in real life. They can be. Neutral, chaotic, neutral. Um, no one's I, ever truly good. No one's ever truly... No, well, I altruism say no really isn't a thing. Yeah. I mean, people want to um, believe it is, but it's not. It's not. You can be a good person and still do shitty things. Like, it's and not it's that a, hard. I mean, the whole point of this game is a hero's journey. You you can be the greatest hero if you want. However, oh, excuse me. However, it, it makes more sense to give your characters flaws because nobody's actually perfect. And that, that'll make it more interesting because 
And what, one thing that maybe a lot of DMs don't take into account Got it. is On that alignment. your alignment isn't locked. Your player's alignments can change, especially based on decisions that they make and things that they choose to do. Because if they don't stay within their alignment and they start making decisions that are more evil, their alignment shifts to be more evil. That's just how it is. And that can play into a lot of things of how does the world perceive them? Do you have a special magic item that only works for people that have a neutral or evil alignment? Like some of these things are mechanics in the game that DMs can utilize mm -hmm. that plays into this morality of the character. One of the things that I really like too is I do play alignment into background pretty heavily. Oh yes. Yes mm -hmm. you do. Alignment is actually very important in our um in our group. Because yeah. it really truly does define who you are. And we actually It's like a summary of what right. of, of and we your do, choices, I suppose. We do kind of strive to have as much character development as possible. Yeah, yeah, that's the point of this campaign entirely, is to say, hey, our <laughs> here's where your alignment and morals are now. Where are they going to be at the end of the campaign? Because we can take my um, grave cleric, for example. Mm -hmm. My grave cleric is chaotic neutral on a good day. But because she's going through a lot of issues that cause insanity and madness, it actually kind of makes her dance on a line between neutral and evil. And depending mm -hmm. on certain choices she's going to make in this campaign or the relationship she develops in this campaign, she's either going to go all the way to the evil side or she's going to balance out maybe and go more good neutral or stay at neutral yeah. even. Um, I don't want to I hope I don't stay at neutral. I hope I have some development. <laughs> I mean, that could be in itself de development, though, is if you end at neutral, but that doesn't mean that you didn't go positive and then neutral and then negative That's and then true. neutral. Like, things could have happened throughout the campaign or, or the multitude of campaigns where you can fluctuate. Mm -hmm. And it's something that plays with your character's morals, but also your you as a player's morals of... Where do I want this character to go? Because I'm you're playing it, you're piloting the character, uh -huh. but it is your character. Correct. So you kind of get to choose what it, their goals are and everything like that. But yeah, so really, really look into reading into what the different alignments mean. What fits you and your character's goal in the end? And it might change as time goes on, like we were just talking about. You might switch you might be you might go from chaotic evil to lawful good and that would be quite the fucking change yeah and i like to play this on by ear because i don't have people choose an alignment first i have them come up with a backstory like mm -hmm. what what did your character go through what is their history where are they at now what are their goals? Because all of these things will then summarize to what kind of alignment and morals they have. So, it makes it easier. Yeah, so definitely think about your backstory. Think about your goals, your ideals. Think about all of that before you choose your alignment. Because if you decide to be like, I want to be um, neutral evil, for example. Mm-hmm. You're going to build a story around that and it's not going to be as authentic because you're building it towards this one thing. Whereas create your story first, the al the alignment will come a lot more naturally. I think. Yeah, because a lot of times when you're creating background and stuff, it's things that you that interest you as a player. Mm -hmm. It's something that you were like, OK, I want to play with this concept. And maybe it was you were part of a tribe and they're there was genocide and you are the last living soul of your tribe. Now your alignment can go a multitude of ways. It depends on how you now handle that trauma. Are you a dick <laughs> or are you all about um, like volunteering and, and helping others? Like you could go different directions based on your trauma, but you get to decide that. Now with this all being said, your story doesn't have to be traumatic. That's no. just the, that's kind of the default people do with D&D &D is we create like these traumatic backstories and stuff. 
you can, if you really don't want to be, if you're not into that shit and you're just kind of like, uh, little Nelly woke up one day and decided I want to be an adventurer and explore the world. That's fine. You can do that. That, that backstory will help you choose your alignment, which is probably going to be more on the good side or the neutral side, depending on things. Yeah. But you don't have to have this dark, brooding story where everything is terrible, everybody was murdered, or you murdered people, and things like that. The super goth the stories. Su- you don't yeah. need to do this. You don't have to do the super goth stories if you don't want to. Yeah. I think most of the time, the reason people do... It's easier, I think. Well, it's easy because it... It gives them the dynamic already that they have the trouble and now to complete the hero's journey, they just have to push through that to the other side. Whereas if you just start out as, I was an NPC and now I'm an adventurer, you're already somewhere. You you have to find your challenge. That's and, true. And that is a challenge in itself. But here's the but fun part you can do. All the trials and tribulations you go through on this adventure can turn you from this happy-go-lucky little halfling to mm-hmm. dark. To PTSD to war PTSD veteran. To PTSD war Oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my God. It's I've like seen from, people lose their like limbs. That, oh, my God. It's like that one character from Happy Tree Friends. Oh, no. <laughs> I can't remember his name. Yeah, the, the but green the, one. The Vietnam War vet. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's like happy-go-lucky. That is not lucky. for kids. That, he's that show he's is so in a normal way, but then he has this evil twin who yeah. like fucking kills and destroys everything and then he finds out the evil twin is really himself on the inside. Yeah, it's like it's the the um Dr. Jekyll and yeah. Mr. Hyde basically. Yeah. Yeah, that is not a kids show. No, it's not. <laughs> Don't show your kids. Don't show your kids that shit. It's very gruesome. <laughs> Even though it's a cartoon, it is gruesome. But yeah, that's a good example I'd say. Yeah. And that and <laughs> That's interesting, too, because then that makes that NPC-like character not an NPC anymore. No. They're a mentally ill person. They're already more interesting because they have a challenge that they have to overcome, even if they don't know what that challenge is yet, like, Mm -hmm. themselves. So, yeah, things like that are what make playing characters interesting. They have a dynamic, you know? So, attacks and spellcasting. Kind of going into... Yeah, that goes... it, it, It... straddles the line between equipment and your actions in combat. Yes. Outside of combat, too, but most of the time it's used in combat. Your actions, your reactions, bonus actions and such. Yeah, so as part... We'll we'll go over that, I guess. As part of the the string of combat, which we already kind of discussed with initiative and what order people do things in, um, you get a movement per turn. But you also get an action and a bonus action. Now, these can be things like casting spells or swinging a weapon or interacting with something. Or punching. Yeah. If or you could monk. climb a tree or something. Like mm-hmm. Then that's like a acrobatics or athletics check. It's things a like really, that. It's a big thing you're going to do. Yeah. And then a bonus action is usually a much smaller thing that you can kind of do in a turn. Such um, as my grave cleric can cast Spare the Dying as a bonus action. Right. And there are certain limitations. So, like, you can't attack more than once in a turn um, unless your race or... Well, it's usually a class. Some it's, class it's, fighters, you to do. it's fighters and barbarians. Um, and monks. Yeah, monks can kind of do it. It's weird. And I think technically rogues can shoot a second time as a bonus action. Yes. So, yeah, there's a bunch of little things where each class gets special actions and bonus actions to do. And special reactions. Yes. Especially in the fighter class that I know so well, uh, depending on the type of archetype you pick, you can have a certain reaction to... Like, I remember correctly, um, I have a option to take a reaction to somebody who's trying to hit me. It's the cost of rolling a die... And I think I get, like, it's one die per level I'm at. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, it starts off at level four, so I get four die that I can roll for this, up to four die I can roll. And um, it allows me to um, react in a certain way mm-hmm. against another play, against an yeah. NPC. And a reaction is a little bit different, whereas an action and a bonus action and a movement you get on your turn. 
A reaction you get once per round, which is everybody is gone until it's your turn again. You get one reaction, which can trigger on um, somebody moving out of your melee range, um, somebody hitting you, somebody, I don't know, doing a bunch of things, honestly. Now, what about, let's say, for example, because uh, I think we did it a couple times in when we did our test run. Um, we said that we would hold an action for, like, let's say, like, Amy said, I'm going to hold shooting my crossbow until I see X enemy's face. Yes. Is that considered a reaction then? Because no. it's not done on your turn. No. Uh, holding an action is a different mechanic entirely, and it's limited. Um, if the DM does it properly, technically a player has to hold a specific action, and only an action, not a bonus action, um, and it has to have a very specific trigger. So that if that trigger doesn't happen, they lose their action that turn. They basically just did nothing. They were waiting the whole right. time for something. And then it got back to their turn. And now they can do something else. Um, but that doesn't burn their reaction for that round. Cool. So if they need a reaction, like if they need to use a reaction, they still can. Um, they just may possibly lose their turn because they did nothing. And if the trigger never happens, then they did nothing. Right. Um, and that's that's a little more meta game mechanics, more seasoned <laughs> D and D players know how a lot of that stuff works. I mean, there was a, our first game. A lot of people didn't understand reactions because they happen outside of your right. Turn, and when so. you're starting to play D and D and you read the book, oh, it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> And you're more focused on what you're trying to do in that moment, and you're not really thinking ahead, especially when you first play. So if you don't use your reactions right away, it's okay. Just remember that they're there and they exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's the player action economy, and an action can be... I think I already mentioned the, the casting a spell or yes, swinging a weapon. Yes. So that... That action itself ties to your equipment, because if you have a weapon that's specific to your class, like a rogue would have, like, usually a bow or a crossbow short sword or a short sword or something like that, that would be what they use. And so that factors into, depending on the weapon, at least in this example, it would use their dexterity modifiers to give that attack with that weapon a bonus to actually hit, and they have to max out the enemy's armor class to mm -hmm. actually hit them. If and you they... don't know what the enemy's armor class is. Only the DM knows what that is. Right. So if you roll a d20 and add all your modifiers, and it turns out to be a 15 total, and your DM says, that's a hit, then you know at least a 15 hits every time. Yeah, you kind of meta a little bit. And for those of you who don't, yeah, that's know, fine. You don't know what metagaming is, basically it's... <sighs> It's knowing yeah. more as a player than your character would know. Right. And, and taking that dynamic and extorting it a bit. So when we would play in the other campaign that Zach and I are in together, um, player DM Zach mm -hmm. would know what our DM in that campaign, he would know what the monster is. He would have a decent, I don't, I don't want to say you know like the, all the stats by heart, but you have a decent idea of where the armor class sits and yeah. what its proficiencies are. But you, the character, your character doesn't know. Exactly. Zolf, I think is his name, isn't it? Uh, your maybe. druid? Yeah, I, I think, think it's so. Zolf. I haven't played it in a while, yeah. so I think so. Um, so, but so, metagaming would be if Zach was like, oh, I know this is a 15 armor class and I know that it's going to fail on dexterity saving throws. So all he does is his character is just do uh, dex hits, knowing yeah. that it's going to fail. Because it's usually going to fail. That's metagaming, yes. That is metagaming. It's extorting the game because of the player's knowledge. Yeah. Correct. So try to... It, it's hard to... You can to, do some of that a little. But yeah, you don't, don't try to do that a bunch because then you're just trying to break the game. <laughs> right. And then that's not fun for your DM, who's worked his ass off week after week after week trying to get this taken care of and it kind of ruins the game for the rest of your play your friends because we're not trying to do that shit yeah i'm usually the one that calls out metagaming 
Yeah. <laughs> I, no, I've heard it before when you oh. yell at certain people in yeah, Discord. Yeah, because they'll talk and they'll be like, blah, blah, blah. But like, that's metagaming. How? Come on, man. Please. <laughs> yeah, but you, your character does not know that. <laughs> Do you? But yeah. You're not even here. <laughs> and that's that's difficult for new players for sure. Yeah. Because you have to get in the headspace of your character. Not what you know as a player, mm -hmm. but just your character. And that, that can be difficult. But that's part of the role play. Of it, it is hard at first to separate your character mind from your player mind. But that's acting. Yeah. <laughs> Even if you're not putting on a silly voice or something, it is still acting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From there, your equipment can be dynamic. You can get creative with your actions and bonus actions, too. Mm -hmm. So you could have something like rope. Um, and you decide to grapple and restrain uh, an enemy with the rope. Because you want to talk to them, you want to turn them in. You, yeah. You it's know. not necessarily an attack, even though it is, it, it, it's a check. It's an ability check for a strength check. But it's not technically an attack. Correct. So it is a different way to handle a situation. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll leave it up to you all to play and see for yourself what kind of interesting things you can come up with right, with the equipment that you have. Because you want to think outside of the box. Sometimes, like, mm -hmm. I've seen Critical Role do some great things oh, with yeah. shit that, that like, the first thing that comes to mind is the, the drugs and oh, the yeah. baby. Um, not going to spoil it for anybody who wants to watch, but it's actually, a, it was the brilliant mind of Marisha Ray Mercer. So it was pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, look through your equipment when you're in a situation. Sometimes you can think of the most craziest things that your DM is going to be like, uh, sure. Have a good, have a good explanation into what you're doing and what you're trying to do. A lot yeah. of times DMs will be like, curiosity is going to really take over and be like, all right, I really want to just fucking see what happens. Oh yeah. They'll add a sort of check that you have to make to to whatever you're trying to do. But if you can explain your way through a situation on how you're going to handle that in a creative way, every DM loves that. Oh, yeah. Like, definitely. Be creative. Um, but speaking of equipment, then, your DM will definitely be able to help you. You will be able to find equipment in the player handbook. But typically, I would say that all players should start with a Dungeoneering kit or an Explorer or Adventurer kit. Because they give you just a bulk of the basic items like rations and uh, flint and tinder or whatever and a bedroll. Things that you kind of just should have on you if you're going camping. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually looking in the book right now because there's the adventuring gear and there's a There's a bunch of, yeah, kits lot, over Yeah, there. so you have your burglar pack, your diplomat pack, dungeoneer's pack, entertainer's pack, that's a fun one, explorer's pack, priest pack, and scholar pack. The entertainer's uh, pack, uh, a bunch of sex toys. <laughs> it's reading. not going to be, on. but you're looking very intently. <laughs> well, you know, definitely no. not. But. It includes a backpack, a bedroll, two costumes. Yeah. Well, costumes. Hey, That's true. It hey, could just be leather straps. Five candles. What are you going to do with those candles? Um, <laughs> I can think of some creative things. I know, right? Five days of rations, a water skin, and a disguise kit. So role play. Pretty much. <laughs> You're role-playing as a role-player. <laughs> Sorry, I'm still reading the book. No, you're good. <laughs> um, let's see. So then we'll go into something called Other Proficiencies and Languages. Languages, everybody knows the first language you're going to know is common. And depending on your race, your race will also have its own language. So if you're a half-orc, you, you know orcish. If you're a gnome, you know gnomish. If you're um, an elf, you know elvish. It's pretty straight. If you're a human, you're screwed. Um, <laughs> but they do have common. They do common have is common. like the universal. But language. I think I think it's up to two, right? I think you can also choose to have an additional two languages that you want to be proficient in. Your race and class does factor into that. Yeah, it gives you more right. I, options. Because I think Elvish, being an elf, allows me to have two additional. Mm -hmm. um, so you can know, you can be an elf, know Elvish, but then also be like, I also want to know Abyssal, which is Celestial kind of language. And I also want to know Undercon. Well, there's Celestial, but there's also Abyssal, which is from the Abyss. It's like Oh, that's right. You're right. Are. So you can know Celestial Abyssal. 
Um, you can know uh, Dwarvish, but also want to know... Um, Draconic. Draconic, which is dragon language. You can also l- uh, learn like Sylvan, which is um, fey plant spirits, their yep. language. Mm-hmm. Um, like nymphs and sprigans and blights. But it allows you to know other languages. And this is actually very helpful in a storytelling way. Because when you're DM, let's say, for example, you come across this ancient like book and you want to read it, and your DM asks you, okay, do you by any chance know, um, abyssal? I'm just going to use abyssal Mm -hmm. because I like saying it. (laughs) Just like saying it. You would look at your character sheet to be like, okay, well, I am human, so I know common, but I also decided to learn dwarvish and, um, celestial. Fuck! No, I can't read this. Somebody else might be able to read it. And Mm -hmm. there is actually, I think it's a wizarding spell that allows you to comprehend languages. So if you have a wizard who has that spell prepared, uh, they can literally read whatever they want. But it's a really interesting way to tell a story and try to learn things that are going on in the environment around you. Um, You can also have proficiencies in other random shit. Like, uh, you can be proficient in drawing, be proficient in singing, be proficient in uh, sailing, proficient in how to make weapons or something. These tools is another one. So it just gives your character more depth behind them. And when you're doing those days where you're like, let's say traveling on like a cart or something like that, it allows you to kind of have a hobby. Yeah. Um, the other two items that factor into this that are class-driven are your proficiencies in weapons and armor. Um, and that's just what armor can you wear and what weapons can you use. Uh, it just limits you because each class has to have certain limitations on what they can use. Right. There's possibilities with leveling up and other things that you can learn some new proficiencies, but it also limits it so that you not every player can select everything. Correct. It's, it's got to have some balance. Like a paladin, for example, they can have heavy armor. Yeah. But... A rogue cannot. A rogue cannot. I can only have A bard armor. cannot. Yeah. A bard... That would look so weird. A bard... <laughs> Just imagine this big bulky dude, and then... <laughs> like, what the heck's going on here? That would be actually really funny. <laughs> can barely move his arms. And I'm pretty sure yeah. your race also factors into that as well. It can. Well, it can factor into proficiencies. Yeah. Usually the class is the weapons and the armor. The other proficiencies, yeah, can yeah, be tied Yeah, a gnome can't race. hold a great sword. It'd be fucking hilarious to see him try. Yeah. But a gnome can't hold a great sword. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, there are definitely limitations, especially because creature size matters. Mm-hmm. Now, most races are classified as medium-sized creatures. Mm-hmm. Some are small. So, like, a halfling, a dwarf, a gnome, they're all small. So, yeah. yeah that would take effect in that case. Um, However, a dwarf, I think, can hold a great sword. Yeah, they have a different strength to them. Yeah. So, they don't have... Even though they're smaller physically, they're stronger and stouter, and, and they're more capable in mm-hmm. that sense. Um, they're usually not as fast, though, but, you know, every race has its... Pluses and minuses. Oh, of course. And again, if you want us to kind of go into a more in-depth thing, um, give us a shout out through our social medias and I'll go over that at the end of this as well. Because um, mm-hmm. I think we had one, we more, one more thing, which is money, 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 money. Okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, every everything that like, like this, and we do have an episode coming out Labor Day that's yes. specific about, you know, economies and and shops and items. September 6th, for those of you who don't yep. know when Labor Day is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually hesitating on if that's the right date. I think it is. But um, we'll talk about the basics of it. So there are is a currency in D&D, which is how you can purchase anything. Well, most anything. Pretty much And anything. it's part of the treasure that you find in your journeys. So there's some sort of monetary value to things as well. Not just Treasure items. or payment. Yeah. Now, this starts with copper pieces. Mm-hmm. And 10 copper pieces equals one silver. And from there, then 10 silver pieces equals one, one gold. gold. And 10 gold equals 
one platinum. Now there is yep. also another piece. It's a half step. It's a half step. I think it's called so Electrum. Yep, it's called Electrum, and it's five silver equals one Electrum. People don't really use it. No, who uses a half step when it's <laughs> it's all in tens? It's already metric system. Yeah. Why do you gotta so throw in an just, Electrum? If you want, if you want, you can use it. But I would just stick with your copper, silver, gold, platinum. Yeah. yeah, everything's already measured out in ones and tens. There's no reason to have a five. Yeah, there it's, really it, is no reason. It's, it's really there. Dumb. It's there. People just don't use it much. But that's typically how those things go. If you want an idea of what th- what value this currency has, go to the player handbook. Look at the basic equipment and see what things are what cost. Because that'll give you an idea of what things are worth what. Gold is pretty good. A lot of things only cost silvers or copper, maybe. Well, some things cost about maximum three gold, like a like a pack or something. But gold is how you're going to buy more like bigger items and services. Yeah, and gold is what horses. you're going to pay for your weapons. Yep. Gold is going to pay for your armor. Gold is going to pay for you need horses. It, your tra- your uh your transportation that's the word I'm looking for. Yep. Gold's gonna pay for your transportation, Wagon. and honestly, gold is going to be your bribe. Yeah, yeah, you can use it for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And we'll go more into that on our Labor Day special, which is actually the episode after this one. I believe it should be. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. All righty. But that I think covers it all. Well, not all. There's still tons left, but. That covers the basics of how to create a player character. How to create and discover yourself as a player character. With dissection. With dissection and autopsies. Callback. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We'll see y'all then. This has been Meta Dungeon, the MD for your DM at five. Thank you and have a good night. (laughs) That gives me such a Twilight Zone vibe and I love it. (laughs) Bye.